When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. <gasps> no, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome, everyone, to Rock M Nation Podcast. Uh, this is a brand new episode of Dive Cuts. Uh, we are on season five, episode 20. Uh, a top 10 SB Nation College podcast. I am your host, Sam Selling. Uh, with me, as always, is our, our good friend, Matthew J. Harris, on the, the Fair Plains of Indiana. Matt, how are things in in uh, Indianapolis these days? Uh, they're, they're fine. A little bit of a light dusting of snow here, um, but otherwise, it's just cold. And, uh, yeah, just straight winter here. Um, but we're, we're hanging on and hanging in. It's a beautiful uh, winter. I uh, just got back from a, uh, a stroll with the, with the dogs. It's a little cold to be out walking the dogs, but we're doing it anyway. Um, and, and a little bit of a change-up. We normally kind of record Monday evenings, uh, but we're going on Sunday, Sunday afternoon. It is... Uh, uh, before the Super Bowl, something that I do not plan on watching at all. Um, Matt, do you, you have Super Bowl plans? Uh, we kind of have it on as background noise, potentially. Um, I've I've never been a big NFL guy. Um, I think my uh, romance with the Chiefs probably like died when I was 14 or 15. Uh, <laughs> uh, probably because I liked basketball more growing up, and uh, I just decided to go with that full-time. Um, subconsciously or whatever but i uh, know we'll probably have it on as background noise um and just sort of hang out this evening so it it'll be ambient entertainment more so than engaged entertainment uh yeah i was a big nfl fan for uh, a lot of years um i think that's actually like how i kind of got a little bit of a toe into sports writing as i sort of helped run an nfl site uh i Right after the like the Rams won the Super Bowl, I moved to Florida. Um, this is like getting into a little bit of the weeds. We'll get to Mizzou basketball here in a second. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so I moved to Florida and I was living down there, and um, and I was just sort of looking for a way to kind of stay in touch with like the fan base and all that kind of stuff. And you know, found an online forum. The forum kind of blossomed to a site. Uh, yeah, and that was like my first real foray into, into sports writing was actually talking about the NFL, um, mostly about the Rams, but I would venture into some other teams, uh, yeah, in the, the early two thousands. So I'm sure, um, I'm sure some people will kind of understand that, uh, I hold some resentment towards the league and the way that they, uh, they left St. Louis. Um, but more than anything, 
I think I really appreciate just like having my fall Sundays and like not having sports to deal with. Um, you know, because running uh, Rockham Nation, obviously Saturdays in the fall and winter are pretty much you know booked with sports. So having at least one day of the weekend to just basically do what you want and not have to think about sports is is, is kind of nice. Except right now, because we're we're going to talk about we're, very clearly we're podcasting on a Sunday. <laughs> yeah, we're gonna. We're doing this so so you can have um, Valentine's Day with Mrs. Snelling, which makes sense. Um, my wife. Well, and I thought I thought you and and Elle would also like to at least have some kind of Valentine's Day. Oh, we did uh, we did thing. ours last last night. So I did not. Uh, we went to a uh, indie rock show last night, um, holding desperately on to our youth. <laughs> I missed watching. <laughs> This game live, uh, the old Miss game live. So I watched it um, this morning, and uh, Ellery has uh, has to work tomorrow on a full twenty four hour shift for her uh, healthcare gig. So uh, she'll be working tomorrow. You'll be doing uh, husbandly duties, uh, celebrating Valentine's be, Day. Be cooking a steak. Everyone wins there, right? Allie wins. You win. The cow doesn't win, but you know. What? <laughs> Um, his sacrifice, their sacrifice was noble, but, uh, yeah, this is, uh, last week was, uh, a, a nice balance though. We, uh, we, <laughs> not a nice balance, but certainly offered a balance with the Vanderbilt game. And then, uh, what we saw last night, uh, in the rally for Ryan game. So, yeah. So moving into, uh, what we're actually here to podcast about, um, there's Missouri basketball and, uh, Last week, um, we kind of previewed a little bit the, the the forthcoming week, and I think you were a little uh, hopeful of the a win at Vanderbilt. I I was skeptical that they'd be able to get that game. Um, it would have been nice. Uh, I kind of feel like if they had shot the ball uh, with any sort of respectability, that they they might have been able to. I kind of feel like the game was kind of in their their hands and and there for the taking there for a bit. Uh, they didn't knock down those shots and. Uh, and and took an eight point loss to the doors, um, but fortunately they were able to kind of clean up the mess and come back and get a win on Rally for Ryan Day, uh, which interestingly uh, I can't remember who it was that noted it, but saw it on Twitter. Um, Missouri has never lost on Rally for Ryan Day. I, I, I realized that was kind of a thing going into last year when they did lose uh, to Arkansas on the Rally for Ryan Day. I kind of Put a lot of that on the fact that Jeremiah Tillman was out because I feel like if he wasn't out, they probably would have won. Um, but interestingly enough, the the Lewis family were were not in attendance uh, in person on that game. Obviously, with a lot of the COVID shutdowns that were happening, they were still not filling the building. And um, and Lil Ryan uh, obviously uh, <laughs> want to make sure that she was uh, safe with uh, the pre existing condition issue, um, and so they didn't attend. Uh, so now the the Lou's family were back in attendance uh, for this game, and so that would basically mean that the rally for Ryan streak is intact as long as the Lou's family is in attendance. Uh, that, that's a fine caveat, and uh, also I would like to say they do a fine job picking the opponent for the rally for Ryan game. The timing uh, for uh, the administration and in terms of picking opponents has also been uh, spot on as well, but. Uh, yeah, a good balance of results last week. You know, I felt, you know, we, we can get into the Vandy game first, or the Ole Miss game, whichever one you prefer, but um, felt like the Vandy game was <laughs> almost a regression from what we saw at A&M. Uh, a lot of settling for jumpers, um, issues on the glass at, you know, inopportune times, way too many fouls, the sort of things that this team can't do. It did at Vanderbilt uh, settled for too many, like I said, settled for too many jumpers. The primary offense wasn't quite clicking the way they wanted. And then, you know, yesterday I thought, you know, until the final, you know, six or seven minutes of that ball game, you know, Missouri was able to do a lot of the things that they need to do on its checklist to get a win. And, you know, the results held there and, you know, at worst they needed a split coming out of last week and they got that. And now they go into a fun stretch of, um, four games in eight days, uh, so uh, they're going to need to hydrate and stay fresh because 
it, it's a busy uh, stretch here coming over the next week. Well, and, and five straight games of facing uh, top 50 opponents in Kempom. Yeah. Yep. So, uh, yeah, so Tuesday, um, again, this is Sunday, so a lot of you will probably be listening on, on Monday, hopefully on Tuesday before they play Arkansas. Uh, then Friday and Sunday, so they're actually splitting uh, because they had to skip the first Mississippi State game. Uh, so they went to a Friday, Sunday away, and then back at home, which is a, which will be unique. I don't, I don't know that I remember the last time that Missouri actually played an opponent back to back. I know that a lot of the mid majors kind of went to uh, a schedule like that last year to kind of deal with a lot of the COVID stuff. Yeah, the only thing that's kind of close um, to is when the Pac-12, like the Pac-12, still does kind of the cool thing where, like, UCLA goes on its Oregon road trip. Like it goes and plays two games at Oregon and Oregon state, or like Cal will take an Arizona road trip where it will go play in Tempe and in uh, Tucson for two games in a week. So they don't, if they, if they're traveling, they're going between um, two spots. So that's kind of the closest I can think of to this is um, if they were, you know, if they had played Ole Miss and then gone on and to uh, play at uh, Starkville, that would probably have been the closest thing. But I can't remember the last time they played someone back to back. Yeah, it's, it's probably been a while. Um, so it, it, it'll be interesting. Uh, so yeah, so they're they're at home and then away and then back at home. Um, I guess the odds would probably say that they're they're likely to pick up a win out of one of those three games. Um, I think the most likely game would probably be the home game against Mississippi State, um, which would be Sunday. Yeah, that would probably be the most likely one you can expect to pick up. Um, after, if you just look at the win probabilities here, it's Arkansas at home and uh, Mississippi State at home. So those are and those are not great odds. It's twenty eight percent for the Arkansas on Tuesday and thirty seven percent for next Sunday. So that's. The odds uh, not tilting really here in Missouri's favor, but we'll see how things go. Things can't go much worse than they did against Arkansas the first time around. And Missouri's usually given uh, Mississippi State a pretty good run in Columbia. Things have been disgusting in Starkville, but when Mississippi State comes uh, north, it's usually a pretty scrappy affair. So those would probably be the two games to keep an eye on here. But um, yeah the important to get a result on Saturday night going into a, a really jam packed part of the schedule. Yeah. So, uh, I don't really know how much we want to address about the, the Vanderbilt game since it was, I mean, it was almost a week ago. Um, I, I just like, I, you know, it, it, I realize we kind of joke a little bit about, you know, the, the whole in college, did you make your threes? You know, yes, no. Um, when it comes to impacting, you know, win percentage, you know, but one of the things that I sort of pointed out in my study hall tweet this morning was, you know, Missouri is currently sixth in the SEC for three point percentage. Um, which I mean, that's that's crazy to me. Uh, you know, Deshaun Gordon is third in the conference, uh, and this is all since conference play started. So for the, you know this team who we all think of as a a poor shooting team uh you know they're basically shooting as a team at least average yeah they're about average right uh, now yeah for for league play and then you have uh, Deshaun Gordon who's actually shot the ball pretty well um now there are reasons for that uh one of the reasons is that they stopped shooting as many threes uh they started taking more specific threes uh, like, I really think that, you know, a lot of Deshaun Gordon's threes have kind of come off kickouts and, uh, and, you know, when he's in the corner, uh, that's going to be a higher percentage shot for him. Um, you know, so so being smarter about the shots that you're taking, you know, making sure that you're getting a paint touch first, you're getting the ball on a kickout. Uh, those are going to be higher percentage threes than, uh, you know basically dribbling and, and, and pulling up and, and stuff like that. Yeah. I, I thought in the Vandy game, um, shot selection trickled into kind of the other issue in that game, which was just the massive chasm that was the free throw disparity. Um, you know, 
we can talk about you know the whistle being a heavy Vanderbilt lean, but Vandy was also applying more rim pressure too. I mean, I think that was sort of the thing. Here's we can argue about you know the whistle going in Vandy's favor, but Vandy was positioning itself to benefit from a heavy whistle because they were playing more downhill, playing more off the bounce. Now, Scotty Pippen is a guy who's a really heady driver and makes good decisions, you know, in terms of attacking and especially in the second half. Missouri did a good job in the first half, you know, really limiting him, really forcing him to make, you know, you know, reads out of ball screens that he's not normally used to. But second half, he kind of got in a little bit of a groove. The foul count started to mount up a little bit. But Missouri didn't help itself because it was settling for jumpers. And I really thought, you know, outside of the stretch where they really pushed to take the lead, you know, I think almost like half their out of that eight minute that seven minute stretch, they only attempted three three balls. Two of them were off kickouts. The rest of the game, you know, their you know free th- three point rate was like forty five fifty percent. It was just absurd. They were taking way too many jumpers, settling way too often, and you know, you look at the points per shot, you know, that really sort of tells the tale. There, Vandy had the edge there. They got to the line more. Missouri just wasn't assertive enough when it needed to be. I thought Missouri did a good job, you know, attacking off secondary breaks and trying to get some runouts, but in the half court, Missouri just settled a lot. And, you know, Vandy was able to, you know, knock down enough jumpers and, you know, really get to the line. So just a tale, I think, of two teams and the mentality that you sort of saw, you know, as each team went through its half court offense. Missouri a little bit more complacent in that game than Vandy was. Um and, you know, I thought Vandy did a good job too understanding when they needed to change up defensive looks and, and stuff like that. But otherwise I just, I thought Missouri was just a little bit, you know, too placid in terms of what they were trying to do in the half court. Yeah. I think you really have to give, you know, Stackhouse a lot of credit for, you know, the game plan that they had because, you know, Missouri is sort of a, a particular kind of team and in, in that, you know, certain personnel groupings are going to mean certain things and, and they, they kind of know uh, opponents, you know, at least should know that when certain guys are on the floor that you can change up your your defensive looks uh, and you can cause a lot of problems. Uh, and in particular, like one of those those issues is like, you know, with, with Boogie Coleman, who is by no means a great point guard, but I think he's, you know, very clearly Missouri's most reliable ball handler. Um, you know, the guy that you're probably the most comfortable with bringing the ball up. Um, and Anytime he was on the floor, like, you know, and, and they would sort of shift, you know, Caleb uh, or, you know, Amari Davis uh, into the sort of lead ball handler role, uh, then you would see like Vanderbilt change up their, you know, their defense and their coverages. They would, you know, switch to, uh, you know, from man to zone. They would change how they're, you know, approaching ball screens and, and all these kinds of things. Uh, and it really just, it, it caused... I think a little bit of a setback for, for Missouri and its personnel groupings, you know, because it also didn't help that, you know, Duran uh, was not playing well. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and, you know, Boogie is a guy who, when he's kind of going uh, and, and, and actually like, I thought even though he didn't shoot the ball well last night, um, I thought he played really well. Like I thought his floor game was, was reliable. I mean, he's, he's still not a good defender, but, but offensively, he was he was consistent in getting the ball the right places, making making good reads and stuff like that. Um, he just he just struggled to kind of get a shot to fall. Yeah, he got some looks um, last night that were in rhythm and the kinds of threes you want him to take. Yeah, uh, you know, but but when he's off the floor, and and obviously like he was off the floor a lot against Vanderbilt because he was not playing well. He was not doing a lot of the things that they want him to do, uh, and so you know, Conzo had to go with you know, with, with Caleb and I, you know, I, I feel like, you know, maybe some fans are thinking that we're overly critical <laughs> on, on Caleb Brown. And I, I don't necessarily think it's so much overly critical. Uh, Cause I think, you know, at this point, like Zoe and the coaching staff understand the gamble um, that they're, they're sort of making, you know, when, when Caleb is on the floor is, is they're basically looking for him to provide. And I kind of mentioned before the podcast, like a zero sum. Yeah. And I really feel like against Texas A&M and against Vanderbilt, you know, Caleb was playing at sort of like a zero sum level. Like he wasn't actively hurting you. Whereas against Ole Miss, he I, like, I feel like his presence on the floor was actively hurting the team. He wasn't able to defend and, and he wasn't able to run the offense the way 
uh, they needed him to. And, and, and so he was, he was becoming a negative impact. Um, and that's not, that's not to knock, you know, Caleb, cause I do think that, you know, like expectations on, uh, on freshman guards can sort of vary. And, uh, I just, I, I think he's probably out there before he's probably completely ready. And, and a lot of that kind of goes back to the staff and their personnel decisions. Yeah. And I think the other thing you saw too, uh, kind of flipping it from the Ole Miss to the Ole Miss game was just Missouri way, way more assertive early on offensively, trying to play downhill more, trying to get to the rim more, playing off. You know, they, they ran, you know, their base offense and they ran action to really get a lot of things moving towards the rim. Didn't always work. You know, you know, didn't, you know, the primary offense early on was hitting some snags, but there was definitely a, a, a shift sort of in intensity towards, hey, we want to get towards the room. We want to play downhill. And I think what really helped Missouri too was, and then what we saw against Vanderbilt to a certain extent too was Missouri was very, very intent on, you know, getting the ball off the glass defensively, getting down the floor and attacking before the defense really had a chance to set. And I thought they got a lot of looks early on, you know, with having Caleb as a trailer and getting, you know, pitching the ball back and having him attack a big, they did a great job, you know, pushing early, you know, finding, you know, Dejuan Gordon in the corner for threes, trying to find hit aheads. They did a really nice job attacking out of early clock offense before, you know, almost could get back set up and really throw any defensive looks at them. And then they mm-hmm. just ran some nice stuff. You know, they got some good things out of gut and, you know, out of some other actions they run, they tweaked them a little bit in some instances. But they were able to run good offense. But I also just thought there was there was a little crispness and a little bit more assertiveness to the action early on. They didn't come down and sort of do what I think they did against A and M, where they were I think trying to take a little bit of the air out of the ball. There was there was pop, there was crispness, there was some intensity to what they were doing in the half court. And I think when Ole Miss began to rally, a lot of that had to do with the fact the transition game kind of revved down. They weren't as assertive early on in the clock, even out of their base stuff. So. It was, I think, just in the intensity of their effort on the offensive end, for lack of a better phrasing, was probably the biggest difference I noticed between the Vandy game and, and what we saw on Saturday night. Yeah, so Saturday night um, was it was it was sort of an interesting uh, game flow. I thought, um, you know, one of the things that I thought, and I tried to sort of make this point in in running study hall was. Uh, it sort of felt like once Missouri had extended their lead, uh, I think to about 20 in the early in the second half, um, it sort of felt like they had sort of gotten there like gradually along the way by just being the better team. And it's easy to forget that really for the first 16 minutes of the first half, uh, it was a it was a tie game. Yeah. Um. It was. I mean, Missouri kind of held the lead, but it was never more than like three or four points. Um, and Ole Miss had had tied it multiple times with like, you know, five or so minutes to go. Uh, and this is you know, and a lot of people was like, oh, you know, well then, you know, Gordon, Deshaun Gordon actually, uh, you know, kind of goes off, and that you know that's what what did it, and actually, like. He was the one kind of keeping Missouri in the game, <laughs> yeah. Because Ole Miss was scoring at the other end, and like this is like what I f- sort of found interesting in the game flow is Missouri really needed those three, yeah. Um, you know, and, and so the third one that he hit, I think, put them up four, yeah. And that's and that's what I think sort of triggered that end of the half run. It's sort of like after he hit the third one, I want to say, I'm, you know, they put him at thirty four thirty, put him at thirty four thirty, and then they sort of go on closing nine two spurt after he hits the three with I think like four minutes left. In the, yeah. In the yeah. Half. So, and then, you know, like coming out of the second half, like it was clear, like they were just getting anything that they wanted and they were, um, their offense was running crisp. And then like, once they kind of hit that 20 point mark, like they just sort of settled in and, and, you know, and played a lot slower. And I think that actually hurt him, hurt him, you know, because like, <laughs> Ole Miss was defending them decently in the half court. Missouri was attacking early, and and I think that was what was benefiting them. Yeah, I, and they really didn't start early on. They ran a lot of offense that gets them into positions and spots they liked. And I think the thing that really stood out to me is they started to run a lot of just like base five out motion. Like they were trying to play off each other, which works sometimes. I mean, I, I think it worked 
for certain stretches against A&M, and it worked for certain stretches against Vanderbilt. But realistically, this team, I think, is best sometimes. That five out works for them when they're coming down and attacking, and they're looking to play off each other initially in the first seven to ten seconds. When they're coming down and they're getting started with 18 seconds left and the defense is loaded up and they're playing five out, eh, it, it doesn't work quite as well. <laughs> um, so I think that was sort of the thing to me was it wasn't even so much, I mean, what they're running, I'm talking about what they're running, obviously, but the pace at which they were coming down. I think that what stood out to me is they were really intent on making something happen within the first 10 seconds of a possession and really being assertive there and putting Ole Miss on its heels and that. You know, once they let Ole Miss load up, Ole Miss got, did a better job switching stuff and communicating in the half court defensively. You know, Ole Miss had some size to get on the glass and, you know, limit it to one and done. And to your point, I really liked a lot of what Ole Miss ran last night. I thought they were getting a lot of stuff, you know, off the kind of their dribble handoff actions. They were getting switches they liked. They were running some horns and Iverson-based stuff that was getting them some favorable switches. And really, it was, hey, we're either going to, if we get a big on a little, we're going to punch it into the post, and we're going to try and play off that, or we're going to get a rolling, a big rolling against a guard, and we're going to force you to come in and tag, and we'll kick out, and we'll play off of the reversal. Or what they were doing when they really started to make the push midway through the second half is they just run their stuff and get a switch on to Boogie or on to Caleb, and they just start going at him. Or they managed to find a guy like Jamin Brakefield who could, you know, do some work at the elbow on Trevin Brazil. They were getting the switches they wanted and they were getting those early too. Um, you know, outside of the four minutes where Missouri was really able to affect them defensively and create turnovers and play in transition. I thought I liked a lot of what Ole Miss did offensively last night it, and they were getting what they wanted. They were getting the matchups and to the spots they wanted. And Missouri, I think once they throttled back sort of let Ole Miss take, you know, the game by the throat and and really dictate terms. And that this team's not <laughs> equipped to do that. Once it has <laughs> control of a game flow, it needs to maintain that. It can never take its foot off the gas here just because you and I were talking before the pot. Ole Miss just has better dudes at a lot of spots. And you can't yeah. You can't just hand hand the baton off to them and say, All right, we're just gonna, you know, we're just gonna, you know, <laughs> manage this result home. We're just gonna put it on cruise to the end there. And I felt that's what they did for about between the eight minute and the 12 minute mark. They really just gave, you know, they really just gave the momentum back to the Rebs. Yeah, it was, uh, and, and you know, even though things kind of got tight at the end, um, you know, it, again, like so, so much of like the, this team and its issues come back to the roster construction. Um, you know, like the, the lack of a, of a, true point guard somebody you can just sort of give the ball to and and uh and make sure that he's you know directing uh those kinds of end of game things uh you know like when when you like so didn't feel like he could put Caleb in the game because of uh Caleb's play in the in the first half was was just not good uh so then already with with uh you know Anton who he hasn't really shown that he can trust at all anyway uh, Yaya Keita was also uh, sidelined with an injury. Um, you know him and Anton and and Wilmore were not even in uniform. Uh, so you're you're taking your your bench from eight dudes to seven dudes, and then Boogie fouls out, and it's like, and then you know Kobe was like banged up. So it was like what? Also, like on top of them sort of you know throttling down, you had these other sort of like personnel issues leaking in. Where it's like, okay, like, what do we do in this situation uh, when they start to kind of ramp up some pressure and we have literally nobody who can reliably handle the ball? Like, you know, I, I think as much as we sort of like Amari for what he can bring as a changeup, uh, he's a guy that's really left-hand dominant um, and doesn't really go right yeah. Uh, yeah. off the bounce very often. And, you know, so it's just like, okay, so that's not really a guy you want, you know, taking on pressure and and that's... That's what kind of had to happen. So I think like you saw, you know, Javon Pickett tried to do some and he actually had like a turnover too. You saw shot clock violations uh, and it was really sloppy. And it all, I think it all comes back to the fact that, and you know, like the personnel decisions to, to, you know, roll into the season without somebody who can, you know, clearly handle the, handle the offense uh, and the ball handling load has just, it, it puts this team in, in binds and really those tight situations. They're fortunate uh, that they had built up enough of a lead um, to where it kind of didn't matter. 
Um, you know, and it, but it, it made them really kind of have to execute in, in, in ways that they really almost didn't. <laughs> yeah. And you, you look at the, you look kind of the progression for each of the transfers they've all played consistently better. At least, you know, if you just look at offensive efficiency, their individual numbers have steadily ticked up over the last, you know, eight or nine games, except Jerron Coleman's, you know, Jerron's probably in about the same spot as he was before Missouri started playing better. He's shooting the ball a little bit better, but I, I agree with what our friend Matt Watkins said, which is, you know, the role fit is hurting him potentially as much as just his play alone, because you've got, you know, they've managed to tweak, tweak the offense to where Dejuan Gordon's not operating as your pick and roll guy anymore. I mean, he catches the ball sometimes in initial sets, but you're not asking him to turn the corner out of a handoff or out of, you know, a weave action and make something happen. You know, he'll catch sometimes in their base set, use the rescreen and attack the rim, but you're not relying on him to act as an advantage creator at all. You know, they've managed to shift some of those touches to Amari, who, while left-hand dominant, is still a guy who's, you know, put up excellent, you know, per-possession numbers you know, for almost half the games this season. He's got five clunkers in there, but since they've shifted some of the offensive structure to him to let him play in some spots and get to places that he likes, you know, turning the corner, he's playing better. You know, they've, you know, taken some possessions away from Ronnie DeGray, but a lot of the stuff he does now are things that he does particularly well. Cutting on overloads, you know, you know, making, you know, occasional, you know, baseline cuts, things like that, where he's able to, you know, read and react to things, which is what he's been taught to do. The only guy who's really sort of seen kind of his play stay level is Jerron. And I think that's because you're basically asking a guy who's a second side creator, a guy who attacks and plays out of closeouts really well to operate your offense. And I think he's done a good enough job at times, like you said, sort of having a good floor game, getting them into sets, making the right initial pass to trigger things and get them going or moving the ball and knowing when to reverse out of stuff but he's not a guy who can create a lot of different things. And, you know, a lot of times I think when he's getting to his jumper, it's when it's, they've gone through one or two counters and he's been able to set his feet in the weak side slot, you know, get a base catch and go. But outside of that, I think it's just been really hard for him because they're asking him to do a lot of things that aren't strong suits in his portfolio. And then when he gets into foul trouble, (laughs) You know, you, you begin to see kind of where the flaws, you know, come in here. And as we've talked about a lot, you know, if Jerron's, you know, basically just hoping that his floor game is going to get you into good stuff and then he's fouled out, you don't have a guy that you can trust against pressure or to get you into anything that's going to be a steady flow offensively, things happen. And this thing, and when that happens to them, the momentum shifts and it shifts rapidly and, and they find themselves having to hold on and really just, you know, <laughs> just you know close their eyes and hope they can see things through it's it's there, there's not a lot of margin for error with this group and you know I, I think that's pretty much apparent by now that the only guy who's gotten who hasn't gotten better is Jerron and that's I think a lot of it has to do with what he's been asked to do uh night in and night out for them yeah I, I mean I I agree with that a lot um you know I I think that there are certain things that Boogie could certainly be doing you know, better. Uh, I think he's not really a very good defender. Um, you know, but I, I think in large part, you know, he, he, he takes what he's been given and sort of makes do. Uh, if he's able to like, just make jump shots consistently and, and, you know, be, sort of be at that, right. Like, I really think if he had two threes kind of midway through the, the second half, last night that I thought if he makes one of those, like it doesn't get close. Yeah. Um, and he, yeah, I mean, he, he missed both, but they were both good looks. And, and it's just one of those things where I, you know, I think at one point that, you know, it was like would have extended him back to 20 maybe or something like yeah. that. And I'm like, if, if he just makes that shot, like I think it, you know, the Ole Miss probably falls way shorter of, of making it a threat. I think that what did they cut it to four? Yeah. Um, so, you know, I don't, I don't think they get remotely that close. Um, yeah. if the one thing, I, if Boogie does his job or if he just sinks that shot, the one thing I would point to is against, 
you know, last year in four games against Ken Palm top 100 teams, he was a 35% three-point shooter. They've already played 13 games against uh, top 100 teams in uh, Pomeroy's ratings this year. 35% shooting. He, his shooting against good teams has mostly translated. What's happened is he's, you know, sh- he shot 63% on 19 attempts from two against really good teams last year. It's down to 45 this year. He's he's not a guy who, you know, the question that I had was, could the shooting hold up? And then when you have him as an attacker or a creator out of the, you know, downhill and playing out of ball screens, could he, you know, be a guy who would shoot 50, 55% on those attempts, basically be a replacement level driver. And he hasn't been that. And so you, you don't have a guy who who's, you know, finishing plays at the rim. You have a guy who's now having to sort of pass the ball, move the ball, get them initiated into sets but can't collapse the defense for them. And when he does get downhill out of, you know, if there's been a few times and like they get into a zoom action or a handoff where he gets downhill into a gap, but the shooting numbers have mostly translated for him, at least so far in conference playing against Ken Pop top 100 teams, but the ability to play off the bounce hasn't. And, you know, again, I don't, I don't think he was ever a primary point guard here. I thought you were going to have to have kind of a split duty, job but Missouri doesn't have enough ball handling to make that possible so as we've talked about they've had to change the offense a lot and really cut down the number of like ball screen dependent stuff they're doing and sets they run because they just don't have that commodity at all and it you know the only guy who's not seeing that those possessions chopped down is Boogie and it's and it's acting as a drag on on his efficiency so far so uh January 12th Missouri uh travels to uh, Bud Walton Arena and takes their worst loss on the season. And considering some of the losses that they've had this year, that's that's saying something. Um, so they lost by forty four. Yep. Um, Jesus. Uh, so clearly, this is this is going to be an interesting game on Tuesday. Um, I don't really know what to expect. Because I do think uh, after that game, so that actually started Arkansas's, what was it, eight-game win streak? Yep. Um, you know, where they ended up, you know, taking down Auburn overtime at home. Uh, they did lose on Saturday in a very close game against Alabama. Uh, I feel like if they had just played a little better early on in the game, they probably would have won that game. Alabama is just... They're all over the good. road. <laughs> yeah. I the most inconsistent team in a league where there you could say there are, a lot of teams share that similar profile. I the win over Auburn, you can't take that away from them. That, you know, that was a that was a deserved win. I watched that game. They played phenomenally well in that one. Um I thought they did a nice you're, job. You're to, talking about Arkansas. Yeah, I'm talking about Arkansas. And then, you know, they they took advantage of LSU, you know, rallied back there and, you know, took out a, a team that, you know, at the time was playing really well. And then they've just done a good job the rest of the way, you know, taking advantage of what the schedule gave them. You know, you get a home game against South Carolina, you win that by 16, you get a home game against A&M, you, you rally and win that one. You go and you take care of business at Ole Miss. Uh, you beat a West Virginia team that's, that was flagging a little bit in Bud Walton arena. Then you go and take care of business on the road at Georgia. What I'm saying is the Auburn win is a fantastic one. That's a re- that's that's something that you really need in your resume come March. And the LSU game, you know, metric in terms of metrics is going to help them on the team sheet. But outside of those, you know, a lot of team there's only one other top 50 opponent, and that was Mississippi State at home. So the schedule for them softened a little bit, and they made the most of, you know, when they had to get you know critical Q1 wins. So um, they're defending at a really high level. They're the best defensive team in. The SEC on a per possession basis. The offense is functioning pretty well at this point. Middle of the pack, it's around sixth, I think, in efficiency. So they're playing well, and they've and they've you know taken advantage of what the schedule's offered up. Um, I'm not sure if I ever thought they were going to be a top four team, but we're going to find out because the back end of their schedule is pretty pretty tough. Missouri's probably a game that you know they're looking at and saying we need to get this before we come down the stretch where they play by my count four. Kim Palm top 25 teams down the stretch. So this is a big one for Missouri. Um, and the only one that's not uh, is Florida at 54 is Florida at Florida, yeah. which I mean, Florida is not what they've been. Um, I 
you know, still think Missouri should have should have got that game. I think Florida is probably a bottom third uh, level team. They're a little better with Colin Calson in the lineup, but but only moderately so. Um, you know, but still, that's that. You know, it's not easy to go into the. Uh, it's not called the. I still the call O-Dome it. Anymore. I still call it the O Dome. It <laughs> it's like the Exacto Arena. It's Exact Target like Arena. That. It's always the O Dome to me. <laughs> it's Exact Target. Yeah, Exact Tech or Exact Target, something like that. But Exact Exact Tech yeah. Arena. Uh, that's. But point being, um, yeah, they've. This is for for Arkansas. This is a game. Yeah, that, exact Tech is what it is. Just it was it was great as the O Dome. It'll always be the O Dome. This is a game, this is a game that Arkansas needs as as it goes down the stretch here. Um if it's going to have any hope of staying in the race for the top 4 and a double bye. So uh Missouri'll probably be Missouri's playing much better than it did <laughs> back on January 12th. Arkansas's getting ready to go into a tough stretch, so it, it's just it comes at an interesting point for both these teams. Yeah, so again, kind of you know going back like I'm not really sure what to expect. Um you know, I I, I I think Arkansas is a better team. I thought uh, they had a really good game plan for what Missouri was trying to do and sort of where Alabama had failed the game before was they basically like Alabama basically gave Kobe Brown free reign to do whatever he wanted, um, which is really not the key to stopping Missouri. And and I really thought like Arkansas had a plan to sort of key in on, on Kobe and make everybody else beat him. And, and they clearly couldn't. Um, with that said, I mean, it was really like a, a poor game for a lot of guys and not just Kobe, like all around, um, you know, and, and so kind of coming back to Mizzou arena, um, Missouri is a more confident team. They, they feel like they've got some things figured out. Um, I, I think you're point in saying that Arkansas kind of took advantage of their schedule a little bit um you know was a nice way of saying that you still don't think they're a great team and I I would agree with that I think they're the number Um, six team in this conference like with the standing shakeout like I don't think they're dramatically better you know they were in a tight game with Mississippi State you know I'm looking at the standings right now you know they were in a tight game with LSU I think Alabama was in a like I don't look at them and think they're significantly better than LSU or Alabama or Mississippi State. And it's really going to come down to who wins those games, who gets those tiebreakers. And for Arkansas, this is a game that you can't drop. You, you know, I think if anything, we're going to, the league is only going to remain more kind of clustered there right now. What do we have? We have, you know, probably two thirds of the league between four and six wins right now. Like it, <laughs> yeah. You you can't drop a game to Missouri and and you know risk falling back off the pace right now. I think Arkansas taking the loss, you know, put them three games behind Auburn with seven to go. I think the title race is out for them. Second might be out of them. They're you know down two with seven to go. They're in a really tough finishing stretch. But for Arkansas, Tennessee's right there and they get the Vols. So for them, you know, this is about staying in third or fourth and and trying yeah. to keep that double by and not slip further you know, towards that kind of like just log jam in the middle of the standings. If you're Missouri, now looking at it right now, you're what, probably a half game off sixth or seventh right now. You know, you're in 11th right now on win percentage. So you're right where, at least we're, they're right where we thought they'd be at this point in the year. But, but you're one loss, or you're, you're one game in the loss column out of, fifth place basically like there's a three-team tie for fifth with lsu alabama and florida all at six and six missouri's four and seven um you know because of that that game that they missed against mississippi state mississippi state is five and six um so i mean theoretically like there's four teams that are tied in in the loss column for fifth place and missouri is one game back of that yep so Big week in the sense for Arkansas to stay in on the pace for a double bye, and a big week for Missouri if it can get results to push farther away from those Wednesday games. I'm I'm not even gonna speculate on where I think they can get to. It that's that requires way too many results uh that we don't know right now. But if you're Missouri, you want to get one or two wins this week just to ensure that you're gonna give yourself a shot 
if you got one or two wins in the next eight days, if you split in the next eight days and got to six wins, you have a reasonable shot of staying out of the Wednesday game. So for Arkansas, that's what I'm fascinated here is how I, I think Missouri will not have a problem uh, with intensity and focus <laughs> on Tuesday night, but it kicks mm-hmm. off a week for both these teams where coming down the stretch where you can position yourself for finishing in the con in the conference standings and going to St. Petersburg. It's time to start thinking about that. So just that that's what I look at, you know, in terms of what Arkansas brings to the table there. Arkansas did a great job. I think if anything else, just playing with really good intensity in the first matchup. Um we'll see if that holds again. So I, I think at this point it's pretty clear that Georgia is is, you know, the the worst team in the league. Uh they're one and eleven. Um, but the difference between like, like Ole Miss and like Vanderbilt is not great. Um, no, you know, I, no. I think, I mean, like, and, and so like Ole Miss, Texas A&M, Missouri, South Carolina, Vanderbilt, all those teams are, um, jockeying right now. Yeah. Like they're all really close and it's, it's basically like, that's what kind of comes down to, uh, you know, just a a game here or there. And that's going to be the difference between playing on Wednesday or playing on Thursday for, and Missouri's for two, a lot of teams. And Missouri's a win here gets them to three and three against their rivals in the conference, which is what you need to do. If you're Missouri, you, you know, you need to, to find a way to essentially just get to the point where it's like, Hey, we won our home games and we won our road games. If you, you know, beat Ole Miss at home, Arkansas at home and steal a road win at Texas tech, that's a or Texas A&M, excuse me. That's about as good a result as you can hope for. And if you didn't let the rope slip a couple of weeks ago, you might have gone four and two in those games. So I think to me, the A&M one and the Florida loss are going to loom as the two that you just sort of kick yourself over, because Florida's not that far ahead of you right now in the in the loss column. They're basically a game and a half in front of you. And if you have that win, now you're starting to talk about eight, nine, ten seeds instead of trying to stay out of the Wednesday game. So. It's a big week for Missouri here. If they can get to 500 against their rivalry games and with a chance to sweep South Carolina and Georgia, they will have basically gotten to the end of the year and they could say, look, we beat everybody behind us, which as you've talked about, that's what you need to do if you're Missouri. Maybe you don't you know, pick off teams in front of you. Maybe the Bama game is one where you did what you needed to do and took advantage of an inconsistent team when they came to your place. But if you're Conzo Martin, you're Missouri. What you needed to do this year was beat the teams behind you in the standings. You know, there's there's a possibility now moving forward that maybe they can do that. And if they can pick off a rivalry win against Arkansas, you can at least hold serve in the games that, that you need to. So big week on that front. And then you hope for a split against State. Um, but we'll, we'll see how, how they haven't had good luck in Starkville. They have not had a good trips there, <laughs> especially under Conzo Martin. Well, yeah, so I think that's that's where this, you know, this sort of setup of this week gets interesting. Um, you know, Mississippi State, you know, the the construct of their team, uh, it, it this is that's a difficult matchup, I think. Um, better offensively you know, Missouri, than they are defensively, which is a, a change. But, for, better on offense than they are on defense, which is a change under Allen. Um, yeah, so. You know, but still, like they they've got they've got good size on the interior. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they've got some guys who can eat glass. Uh, you know, Iverson Molinar is is still awesome. He's not shooting the ball from three range very well, but uh, he's still like just a dynamic scorer. Um, and and they've they've been good. They haven't been great, but they've been, they've been like you know bubble NCAA good. Yeah, their uh, last four out right now, but. Like beating a team, especially an in-conference team, two games in a row back to back is a tough thing to do. Like it's difficult enough, you know. I and I would I would put a caveat on this of of not elite teams. It's difficult enough for not elite teams. So Missouri is is not elite. Uh, I would think it's it's easier for a team like uh, you know Auburn or Kentucky. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, or Tennessee to to sweep a season series when you're just better, um, and even though like I think Mississippi State is a better overall roster, like they're not leaps and bounds ahead of you know Missouri as far as like you know th- they can count on sweeping this game. But that being said, like they can't 
they can't drop a game to Missouri, even if it's on the road, and expect uh, that to help their NCAA case. Yeah, that, that's where they are. That's their motivation right now is, you know, they've dropped three in a row. You know, they, they lost at Arkansas. They lost it. You know, they dropped a game that I would have said they wanted to, that was absolutely essential for them with Tennessee early in the week, and then lost a, a, a nip and tuck one last night in Baton Rouge. So that they they need this right now, and they and they get for them it's it's weird. They've got to play three games in five days. Basically, they get Alabama on Wednesday night, then they get they have to go to Tuscaloosa. They come home to place in Missouri, and then they go back to Columbia. You know that's tough, and then they go back to the other Columbia. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> there's this is a real tough. This is just an insane stretch for them at a linchpin point for them. Maybe not in a top four finish, but they need this to stay on on in the bubble discussion at this juncture. And you know, Bama's played well at home. I'd say they probably played better at home than on the road this year. You cannot drop a home game to Missouri and you know be sitting at five and eight. And, and hoping to stay in the bubble discussion for much longer. Just too much pressure there. And if you, again, we talk about, you know, we look around and we're looking for pickup opportunities. That's what Mississippi State's doing right now. It's looking at it and going, we get Missouri, a sub-100 team twice. And then we get South Carolina, who's at 105 in Kempom. And then we get Vandy and A&M. So just a, a fascinating week in that stretch. Personnel-wise, this is not a great matchup for a team that does not board well. Um, if there's one thing that Mississippi state is not lacking, it is, uh, size Garrison Brooks, Tolu Smith, you know, they can even, I mean, they're a top 25 team for offensive rebounding rebounds. and they can, they got fountain. They got Matthews, the front line, and even they can just throw JV and Davis Fleming out there. If there's some foul issues. So they've got length, they've got size, you know, you look at the rim protection here, you know, is, is not always quite elite defensively, but they've just got so much size and it's tough for this Missouri team you know, to match up on that front. And, you know, at the end of the day, if you've got Iverson Molinar, who's better than any other player in Missouri's backcourt, that's tough to stop. Just personnel-wise, you'd expect this to tilt Mississippi State's way, but it's always tough, at least in Columbia. So that, to me, that's the date you circle is Sunday. If you can pick, you know, a team up that's, you know, well, basically played two games in, you know, three days before that and will be traveling on the off day, that that to me is a big one there. If you can get steal a win against Arkansas, steal a win against Mississippi State, you know this week that that's that's the best case scenario I think for Missouri. You know as as it comes into this stretch. Our old friend uh, Rocket Watts is uh, has pulled what one two three four five DNPs and is only uh, averaging about twenty six percent of minutes. Yeah, when you're behind, sporting a rough ninety one point two offensive. Rate. Yeah, when you. Well, when you got, you know, Iverson Molinar there and Shaquille Moore, who's probably more of a true, you know, ball handler, you know, and can initiate some stuff there, it's just hard. I mean, Molinar is a guy who's probably going to be a late first round to mid second round pick in the NBA draft. He's just gotten so much I, better. I, he's he's such yeah he's such a good player. Like he's a fun player to watch. And the question is, do you, and you're going to keep Jeffries on the floor as a three and D guy, so if Moore's a little bit better of a distributor and a better ball handler, then yeah, you're going to keep him out there. So it makes sense why they've got Shaquille Moore out there um, and you know, shooting the ball a little bit better. So it makes total sense. And Watts's game was always sort of playing out of pick and rolls, you know, him and Isaiah Jackson, you know, back, you know, when they were playing, you know, in the UIBL, that was what they did was they played out of ball screens and, you know, Iverson Molinar is pretty good at doing that and playing in the mid range and, and making good decisions. So, uh, not shocked that we are seeing Iverson uh, put a firm clamp on one of those backboard spots and only leaving one for Watson Moore uh, at this point. So it's a it's it's a hectic week for Missouri. It's going to be a hectic week for us um, as we as we try to cover all of this. Um, it's also Stout Week at Side Project, Matt. You're going to come into St. Louis and 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 partake in some stouts at at Side Project Cellar. No. No, I'm not. Okay. Um, but you are, I have a feeling. <laughs> yeah. So I'm at least going to go down there on Tuesday. Um, so I may, may be getting to the game a little bit late. Um, but uh, yeah, and I think I'm still deciding whether to go down Thursday or also on Saturday, um, but probably just one of those two days. 
Um, so yeah, so we've got three games. We're going to record again next Monday, so we'll have results of all three games. Um, I think Missouri, if if you're a you know reasonable fan, you're probably hoping to kind of come out of this stretch with with one win. Yeah. Um, like two would be great. Um, but I did like I think even beating Arkansas at home, if you're able to do that, uh, I think you start there and then you try to maybe clip you know, Mississippi State at home too. But like it's like I said, they're also kind of, you know, in a in a rough stretch stretch of a lot of games and having to cram three games in fewer days um than Missouri. So maybe they wear out in that that last game and and Boogie just uh goes nuts and has like thirty seven points off ten three pointers. Yeah. They're you know, at this point if you're looking for a pickup, that would probably be the one to look at. If you steal one against state and you can steal one against Carolina and do what you need to do against Georgia. That's that's seven eleven at this point, which is, <laughs> I mean that that's where I thought they'd be yeah. at the start of the year. I mean I, they're, and I, there's nothing that I've seen so far that makes me think that like there's a surge coming. But at this point, if you can just get to seven and eleven, that's fine. You know the offense is is playing better. That that's held up um, defensively. They. They still have issues, you know, rebounding. They still have issues, you know, with fouling a little bit too much. You know, this, you know, this team is what it is, and and just staying on track, getting to seven and eleven, and you know, realistically playing five hundred ball over the back half of the season would probably be, you know, a vast step up from where we thought they'd be after they got blown out in Fayetteville. So, at this point, just modest hope that you could steal a win this week and then do what you need to do. And then do what you need to do against Carolina and Georgia and, and try and get this thing back to something approaching what we might have thought in the preseason. The the non-con's not going to be forgotten, but that they they still got, you know, expectations that I thought were reasonable in the preseason in sight for conference play. So uh, if they can pick up a result this week, um that'll keep them on track. Uh yeah. So we will be we'll be back next week to talk about that. Um, anything else you want to plug before we get out of here? Uh, just, uh, you know, we're trying, I don't know if we'll be able to do it for all the games this week, but we're going to try and have, um, more film rooms, uh, ready to go. Uh, Matt Watkins does a really nice job turning around text on all those video clips. We hope that people are watching that and really trying to understand what Missouri's doing on the floor. Um, I realize that it's hard to leave behind what we saw in non-conference and, you know, this team is still deeply flawed. The roster construction is still um, got massive cracks in the foundation. But I think, you know, what Matt does a really good job of doing is just saying, hey, here's what this team's doing game in and game out. Here's what they're seeing. But if you've read those pieces and you read them consistently, you can see the evolution of what this team's at least trying to do offensively. And I think that's really important. Um, I'm not saying it's going to change your mind or how you feel about this staff or this roster. But I think it's really important to understand what they're trying to do and how that's changed over time. So um, be on the lookout for those pieces. I think that they're they're really helpful as a tool. Um, just rehashing what a team was doing within a game, and then as a body of work, I think they really give a good impression for what what this team's trying to do and the way it's trying to play. Uh, yeah, I agree. People should uh, should read those, watch clips. Um, I I think uh, you know, like it's one of those things where. It's it's easy to ball watch when you um you know when when you're watching the game and it's easy to sort of come away with you know assumptions that like you know everybody's just sort of standing around and 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 chucking threes or whatever you know but I think I think at this point a lot of the fans are understanding that Missouri is at least trying to uh, attack and and get the ball going to the rim. And I think the the benefit of film room is, is being able to kind of go back and watch the clips and see like how they're going about kind of doing those things, because I don't really think they have, you know, uh, like one or two guys who is just going to cross somebody over and get to the rim. Like they don't have a, a JD Davison or, or somebody like that, or, or, you know, Javon Quinterly who are crafty enough with the ball to go by any defender. You know, so they've got to get creative, and and I think they have. Yeah, yeah, they've they've definitely, I think, um, changed the way they play. I think early on in the year, my one of my biggest complaints was I didn't think they screened and cut 
with any sort of quality. And I think that's changed as the season's gone. I think they've really bought into that identity and really sort of, you know, bought into the idea of off ball movement and understanding what they need to do and how they need to space and play and do all the, the things that you see on a set. So um, give those a look. Um, we try and keep them pretty uh, entry level and approachable in terms of concepts and stuff. So um, yeah, really, really happy with those and uh, just give them a peek. Uh, so you will not miss any of those pieces if you are following um, either of the mats. Uh, so you can follow Matt J Harris eighty five um, on Twitter. You can also follow uh, Matt Watkins, who's at Data Mizzou, uh, and you can follow me. Um, and there probably be some some pictures of, of bourbon and, and food and stuff like that. Maybe basketball food down there. Uh, so we'll be back next week to talk about all things Arkansas, Mississippi State, Mississippi State. Uh, three games in a short amount of time. It'll be a fun week to watch. Hopefully things go well, and we'll be back. Talk about it all next week. Until then, thanks for tuning in.